0: Tell them that I love them. Back in seminary, it seemed that every time Monsignor Charlie Elmer got up to preach, that was the message. He would tell us about preparing his homily in the chapel and asking the Lord what the Lord wanted him to share with the seminarians. And invariably, the response was, Tell them that I love them. And like children, cringing and a sign of affection between their parents, all the seminarians would cringe and sigh. You see, Monsignor Elmer, he ran his family's general store in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, then in World War II, stormed the beaches of Normandy and had this cool, austere Clint Eastwood thing going on, Surely, we figured, he could come up with something a little more substantial, a little more gritty, dare I say a little more manly, and tell them all I love them. Fast forward 20 years, as we hear these readings dripping with witness and power, Joshua, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord Paul, that great description of the mystery of marital life as a sign of Christ and his church, and Peter's great witness, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Much to my surprise. And so I was in the chapel, not sure which way to go. I asked that dangerous question, Lord, what do you want me to tell them? And he said it. Tell them that I love them. Okay, here we go. I want to tell you, and I want to show you. For the last five weeks, we've been making our way through the Bread of Life discourse, chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, except for last week's feast day of the Assumption of Mary, where we took a brief intermission. And this is the dramatic conclusion of it. Jesus here offers that which almost no one seems to want. That was the way the vast majority reacted 2,000 years ago, and it's sadly how it seems to be the majority opinion today, even among Catholics. I think to modern ears it sounds weird. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. It sounds either too good to be true, or, or just too weird to ponder. But to an ancient Jew of the first century, it was much more than that. It was abhorrent. Two reasons. First, because of the blood. Blood over and over again in the Jewish law, what we would call the Old Testament, is forbidden. Not human blood, just blood, because blood was seen to be that which carried life. So over and over again, we hear that consuming blood was forbidden. And yet Jesus styles down and says, my blood is true drink. What? And then second, the flesh. People pushed back, rightly so. They didn't just follow like lemmings. He says, my flesh is true food. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life within you. And they push back. At that point, he doesn't lighten up. In fact, he dials down again. Fago is the Greek word to eat, like the way normal people eat. In the passage that we would have heard last week had it not been the assumption, he used a different word. If you do not eat my flesh, we say in English, but in Greek it was trogo. If you do not, more literally, gnaw on my flesh. Disgusting, they thought. And so it is that so many of his followers left him. Not just people that happened to be listening one day and say, that sounds weird, let's ignore that guy. No, these were his disciples, people that were following him. And the same today. In fact, the studies, recent studies, are scandalous that of self professed Catholics, only 25% believe in the true presence of Jesus present in the Eucharist, so many others will say, yeah, well, it's a good symbol, but to quote Flannery O'Connor, if it's just a symbol, then to hell with that. And I think that's what we're seeing over and over again, what's keeping so many of our friends away from regularly worshiping. What it actually is, is not just a symbol, but I'd propose what it is, and I think this is where the Lord was going this week, if I heard him right, what this is, is a sign of love. In fact, the sign of love. And I think that's why the church, in her wisdom, couples it, no pun intended, with the the second reading about married couples. St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians so many people cringe a little when they hear it. Get caught up in, in what it says that men are supposed to do and what women are supposed to do. But don't miss it. In this passage, we have, first of all, that sign of how it is that we're supposed to live with God. Subordinate, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then, how it is that we are to look at our relationship with the Lord through the lens of marriage. What does St. Paul says? But it's a great mystery, and I speak in reference to Christ and the church. See, whenever we see a married couple, we see in them this sign of the love of Christ and his bride, the church. We don't all do it perfectly, surely, and surely the church doesn't always respond perfectly to the love of Christ, but it is love nonetheless from the perfect bridegroom. Four ways, quickly, to point out how this bridegroom loves his bride. First of all, he provides food for her. How good it is for me to to think back to my brother, the great hunter and fisher of the family. He can't be a family gathering without Mike bringing... Some venison or some salmon or something that he has caught or, or killed to nourish us. Not that that's what marriage is all about, but surely to care for the, the, the needs of the other. It starts with a very basic physical need. And look at how this gospel passage started, right? It was Jesus feeding the multitudes with the bread and with the fish. Secondly, he tenderly cares for his bride, the church. Paul speaks of that, the bath of water with the word. Ladies, when was the last time your husband drew a bath for you? Sounds like a, a nice idea. To be cared for the bath, of course, that we speak of preeminently is the baptismal waters that, again, will be used today. He cares for his bride. Number three, the bridegroom speaks with integrity. His words were not popular, but that's okay. He stuck with them. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Even when it was against popular opinion, even when everyone left, the saying is hard, they say. He stuck to his guns. And fourth, and most importantly, The sign of ultimate love is that he gives of himself. We all know it's good to give a gift. It's even better to give a gift that we've made or something that we love. But the ultimate sign of love, surely. That's why Jesus says there's no greater love than this. To lay down your life for your friends. He did it on the cross and it's represented at every Mass. And so I hate to admit it, but maybe Monsignor was right. The message surely is, tell them that I love them. And you know what? There's nothing more manly than that.